SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Electrical overload. I can fix that. Coolant's leaking. Try transferring auxiliary power to secondary, secondary tank. tank. I got it. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your host of Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies and a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergy. With me is William Thrasher. I want my investment back. And I guess Shrek was involved in Star Wars. I don't know what that was. Uh, and with us, the, the person you heard laughing, was uh, a friend of the show. He was on way, way back for like Karate Kid and Ghostbusters and stuff back in the day. BJ. Yo. How are you doing, BJ? You, uh, you know, I'm to... not sure I'm doing any good back here. I should probably just pull out. Um, it's too late. You're already in. If you pull out, it'll be a disappointment. So let's uh, let's, let's let's keep on going. Just like uh, this no, movie, no. we got the gang back together. Yeah. Uh, yes. And and one of us is going to get stabbed and, and tossed into a pit, and we'll feel nothing. Um, so, but but before we get to Star Wars proper, I want to talk about something we were just discussing off mic. You know. Uh, it's it's been established way back in the day, and, and I mean we're all friends in, in college at SCAD, Savannah College Art Design, our alma mater. Uh, we're big fans of the the Ghostbusters, and recently the trailer for a Ghostbusters Afterlife, the fourth live action Ghostbusters film, came out, and um, I guess we have complicated feelings on that. So why don't we we talk about that real quick, then we'll jump into Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens discussion. But we just let's do Ghostbusters at the head, because I know I'm going to forget my thoughts if we save it till later. <laughs> so, BJ, why don't, why don't you start? Uh, well, it's hard to judge from a single trailer. I think it's one of those weird things we do yeah, in film now. It's hard to see, because especially if you look at original Ghostbusters, they take it completely serious. Like, the whole concept is completely... Like, the way they handle it is like, mm-hmm. everything is totally serious, it's just absurd. Versus the, the Paul Feig one, which was just kind of like slapstick... Three Stooges y stuff, which is a very different way of handling Ghostbusters. Uh, wasn't too keen on that, but so I'm interested to see when, as we get more information about Afterlife. It's really a somber trailer. It's It makes it look like a trailer for a Ghostbusters movie that's not a comedy, which is so strange. It almost looks like an SNL trailer of like. The, the trend to make every single teaser trailer of a movie be really serious. I'm almost surprised we didn't get like a very sad emo version of the Ghostbusters theme played over piano. Who you gonna <laughs> call Ghostbusters? <laughs> I wonder if we'll get a new original song for this one. I, uh, I hope of, so. Of course, I mean, like, I when, when the soundtrack to the. Um, I guess it's just called Ghostbusters, right? The one they did with the the female. Then they call it Answer the Call or something like that. Oh, oh, for the video release, you're right. Um, yeah, to make things less confusing on the on the shelf. Although Answer the Call, that's not even correct English, is it? It sounds like. Uh, I think anyway. it works. It's okay. Um, but with the uh, the Ghostbusters stuff uh, on the soundtrack to that 
2016 movie or whenever the hell that was um over half the tracks were just covers of the ghostbusters theme so I'm hoping we get more than that. Maybe they get uh, Bobby Brown to come to come back and do an, an end credits theme that tells the whole plot. He's going to do a duet with Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> we'll get the Stranger Things crossover now. No, that's oh, oh, the, Millie, the chicken. Go through. Yeah, the... got it. Okay, I thought you meant his daughter who died the same way uh, their his wife died. <laughs> See, I I I heard that and I thought like I would I'd assume it would have a song by Imagine Dragons or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I'm busting ghost. I got my proton pack. Well, yeah, okay. You, you were mentioning how, you know, that how currently, you know, all of Ghostbusters are shepherded under, like, Ghost Core. Ghost Correct. Core, that sounds like the name of the big corporate Ghostbusting outfit that the scrappy mom and pop Ghostbusters have to go up against. Okay, one last thing, and then we can talk about Star Wars First Awakens, dear listeners. Um, my dream Ghostbusters project would be uh, recently on Netflix there's a show called The Movies That Made Us by the people that did The Toys That Made Us show oh, and they was, did an episode of Ghostbusters good. yeah and it made me think that original Dan Aykroyd script is so batshit it has them on different planets and they have different Ghostbusters franchises and shit in different countries like I would love to see that done as a comic book like they've done with the original script to Planet of the Apes by Rod Serling oh, yeah. or the Harlan Ellison script for uh, that, that Star Trek City on the Edge of Forever episode i do really like their co- the comic book series for ghostbusters it's, if you haven't had a chance to check it out it's really good it's one of the few comics i actually read i have heard it's good and i heard uh will i believe you said they did a, a some crossover between like the cartoon ghostbusters the comic ghostbusters the the 2016 female ghostbusters yeah it was like every ghostbuster there was some dimensional rift and they all teamed up to fight this one big interdimensional uh, interdimensional monster which just so happened to be one of the Filmation Ghostbusters. <laughs> oh, jeez. Wow, that's a deep cut. No, that, that, I was, that, that's not true. I just think it would be hilarious. Oh. It's the oh, ape. You never, I, <laughs> that, that, that is just called the real Ghostbusters is such a sign of haughtiness from the... <laughs> okay. I'm going to table Ghostbusters, but thank you for uh, humoring me. It's always good to have Ghostbusters conversation with you, BJ. No problem. Uh, Star Wars... Force Awakens 2015. So the Disney acquisition was in, uh, announced in 2012, but in the works, you know, for longer than that. Those big corporate mergers don't happen overnight. And we and, did do a um, special episode about that, as I believe. We did, and I actually just uh, finished reading from the library Bob Iger's uh, memoir. He was the big uh, cheese over at Disney, and it, he talks about George Lucas being pissy about this movie, so I'll have stories from that. Um, <sighs> but yeah, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens... Um, I'll I'll say this much off the bat. I, I think the initial trailer for it was like genius and one of the best trailers I've ever seen. Oh yeah. It, it definitely it it you know, you it, it, it it has that mystery, it got you hyped. Yeah, you, you had the old Harrison Ford, his old Han Solo saying like it's real, all of it, or something along those lines. Like it just has a had that sense of wonder and I think that's the most exciting thing with with the start of any trilogy is you don't know where things are going. Well, I got or weak least... in the knees watching it, and, I, and as I recall, mm-hmm. I called both of you the next day to talk about it. Yes, I, uh, I my so. my boss at work is my boss at work is a huge Star Wars fan, and he said he watched it in his car in the parking lot and was openly weeping, and had to compose himself before coming to work. So it, I know when when the <laughs> Disney merger was uh, announced with Lucasfilm, like my heart kind of sank because it was pretty soon after the Marvel one. 
uh, I think technically, they, according to the Bob Iger book, he said they negotiated the price for uh, Disney to buy Lucasfilm to be something like half a million higher than the Marvel price because George Lucas didn't want it to be lower. Hmm. <laughs> um, it, you could argue whether Star Wars is worth as much as Marvel. It's not, but uh, or Lucasfilm not rather anymore. But, uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into that, but um, yeah. But what are some some thoughts, uh, BJ, when you first saw? <laughs> Star Wars Force Awakens, just some brief initial thoughts coming out of that theater the first time you saw it. I mean, I enjoyed it. It it was like watching the old movies again, or at least, you know, some of the old movies. That That's that's as far as I really thought about it, because it's one of those... I feel like a lot of these modern, you know, re... I don't know how do you say them. They're remakes. Or not remakes, but... It's like a soft reboot, yeah. almost. Yeah, mm-hmm. these these modern kind of reboots, they kind of, they tend to just... They, they, they really tug at the nostalgia strings. And and so you have to kind of. I think it takes a little time away from them to really, you know, compose what you you really feel about that movie. And that that goes for Star Wars or any number of of things that have you know come out like that. Yeah, I remember when I when I saw this, it was a it, it was a, a kind of a perfect storm because I was visiting my family for the holidays, mm. so it was my whole extended family. We all went and saw this movie together. Uh, and it and you know as a group it was really fun we you know uh, we we really enjoyed the experience of of seeing the film that being said i remember when i left the film and was just kind of like think thinking it over what makes this film work is that it's it's star wars greatest hits you take an old band you've been listening yeah, to forever yeah. this is the greatest hits album Right. This is not what like Elton John and Billy Joel did on some of their uh, whatever the name of the tour was when they toured together. Where one time they decided to do all B sides and almost got like thrown out of the stadium. Like the crowd was rioting. Oh lord! Like be- because people go to you know like a Billy Joel concert or they go to Star Wars and they they expect one thing. And I, I think in retro, you know, as I get older and the more I watch them, I like the prequels more than I did initially. But it's certainly going for a different tone a different kind of story than the original trilogy and uh, depending on your age you know you can argue some damage was done to the star wars brand and and disney had to put their stamp on it had to whip their mickey mouse dick out onto the table and say oh hey guys oh this this is our star wars movie oh so they, they had to make a statement and this is what they did it's kind of like the greatest fan film ever made Mm. Huh. Interesting. I, I can see that. And and J.J. Abrams, I almost think of him as... He's certainly a talented guy, and I think he's good with pacing, but he almost comes across like a Xerox director in that a lot of his... Actually, I'm going to confirm if this is the case, but yeah, every film he's directed, with the exception of Super 8, has been a soft reboot of something, whether it's or a sequel to an existing franchise. Now, in television, you know, he did writing and show creating on things as starting with Felicity, which is sort of a surprise, and then Alias <laughs> and Lost and all that stuff. And Fringe, you know, um, but otherwise, you, you look at the movies and it's like he's good at, at copying other people's style. And he has, I, I wish J.J. Abrams would do something that's more J.J. Abrams, but he's created kind of his own empire, uh, pun intended, I suppose, at Bad Robot, his production company. And they're very successful. And this movie made over a worldwide gross of over two billion dollars. 
Well, that's that's a thing about about J.J. Abrams, especially when looking looking at his his soft reboots and things like that. He is great at setups. Uh, the execution yeah, can sometimes yeah. be like the, the follow through, the execution, the climax can be very sketchy. But his setups are amazing. Like, and I'll honestly like the best thing he could do for any project like this is just get the ball rolling and then step away and just enjoy the royalty checks. I think that was the original mm. plan. Yes, most uh, likely. Yeah, but then there, so, things went really <laughs> wrong in the second installment, and then they're like, "Oh God, let's get him back." I, I quite liked Last Jedi, but I, I suppose we'll talk about that when we get to that next week. But um, that will be a special double-length episode. Oh, oh God! Yeah, probably. That's the greatest um, Battlestar Galactica movie that ever got made. <laughs> that's not untrue, but uh, yeah. Uh, so Star Wars: Force Awakens. I, I do want to talk uh, really quick about this story I read from this uh, Bob Iger memoir. He talks about George Lucas and, and when they got Lucasfilm, part of what they got was George Lucas's initial plan was for him, uh, before the Disney acquisition, he was going to direct Star Wars Episode Seven and write it, and then he was going to be acquired by another company, and then other people would take care of Eight and Nine. Now, it didn't hmm. quite end up that way. The Disney stuff happened sooner than he, than he thought. Uh, but... Um, he, as part of Disney acquiring Lucasfilm, they got George Lucas's outline, however long it was, I have no idea. I don't think it was especially detailed, but um, I'm not privy to such information. I'm a lowly podcaster. But, you know, they had his ideas for episodes seven, eight, and nine. And then they proceeded to pretty much ignore them altogether. It probably took maybe a few themes or some ideas. I, I seem to recall from what's come out and some of the concept art that Luke Skywalker was to be kind of a a hermit of of sorts um there was a female jedi luke was training and that at at some point the story was going to go to a microscopic kind of fantastic journey level into what a midichlorian is which uh would have been quite different but i hope that gets made as a comic book or something someday i'm just would love to see what the hell that is because that sounds really damn weird uh and and george lucas is Say what you will about him, but he has very—he's uh, a good idea man. He's great with story, not good with dialogue. Good with world building, yeah, <laughs> yep. Good with uh, structure, eh. yeah. I don't know, but we can, well, you we know, can he traditionally pulled from like older film and older styles, and that's that's yes, something I felt yeah, was a little right. bit lacking in our in our modern uh, in this modern trilogy. It didn't right. feel like um, I was watching those old serials. So, so they brought Lucas into a, a story meeting uh, as they were working on the script uh, initially done with uh, Michael Arndt, who one of his credits is a Toy Story 3, right? Mm. And, uh, and as Lucas is in the meeting, he wasn't told that they're not going with his idea. And Bob Iger was there, and Lucas got very, very angry, and I think might have even stormed out. And, and when the movie came out, like Lucas was bitching, like, uh, this new movie, it's all sizzle, no steak. Uh, around the same time, he was on a Charlie Rose interview where he called Disney slave traders and then had to apologize publicly. Um, and, and I think some of it is it sort of, I think he compared it to, I mean, it was his choice to give up Star Wars. And, uh, you know, he and, and his wife, uh, I think Melody Hobson is her name, I believe, um, had had a kid via surrogate. Now he has a small child in his 70s uh, and is kind of just living that life as a retired man, pretty much. Um, he's building an art, modern art museum in Los Angeles, 
he's been trying to get off the ground for a while, but he described it kind of like a divorce or something. Like he, he shepherded the Star Wars thing through all these years, all this, all these books, all these, not that he had to approve every plot or whatever, but it was his baby and now someone else has it and they can do what they will with it, but it still has the Star Wars name. Uh, but when, it, it, so I guess he felt betrayed that Disney did not go with his, he assumed they would go with his uh, outline and actually use him as a consultant. But that was not the case. And I think the tricky thing with these soft reboots you see is with Star Wars um, or with any of these things, how much of it is going to be the old guys? How much is going to be the new guys? And I and I think that is something that, that is is a weakness in in the entire trilogy i think they 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 keep waffling back and forth well are these new characters and new stories or are these old characters continuing their old stories uh and they never settle on either one and and that is kind of unsatisfying like i think in all honesty i think yeah. this movie has just the right amount of old star wars characters in it like it ends in such a way that you could keep going with the new, with the new cast uh, and, and have like the old cast be as, as effectively cameos. Um, we will come to find out that that's not what they're going to do. Um, but but between all three movies, I think this is the most successful with balancing the old and the new cast. It definitely is. It's got that um that whole Obi Wan thing. So you know you you watch the original Star Wars and you have Obi Wan Kenobi, this older character who has yeah. a, a link to the time before, and he serves as this kind of transitional period for the the new heroes to go through. And Han kind of serves that a little more than he probably should have, but but he <laughs> but you you get that whole idea of like you get this through line, right? In the prequels, we learned about Obi Wan's past and how he became this hero. You know, from starting out as a Padawan, and then yeah. then you okay, well, let's see Han. So we're going to see Han go from being this, you know, dastardly ne'er do well, hanging out in a bar, shooting people under the table, to now he's this, you know, kind of retired war hero, just like Obi Wan was. So he kind of fulfills that purpose, and you don't have any of the others to kind of do that. I think Han was a weird choice. It seems like you know Luke would have been that 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 choice. Mm-hmm. Well, in the case in the case of Han, I think it's and this is one thing that is kind of frustrating. So, the the Return of the Jedi, the previous film, gave us a pretty decent resolution to everything going on, and this movie does walk back some of that resolution. Turns out there's still an empire. Turns out they still have a super weapon. And in the case of Han Solo, Han Solo has regressed to the person that he was in A New Hope. Yeah, that's mm. and that's so weird. Like it's, you have that kind of time jump. And I think that was a a bad idea in general. Was doing that kind of time jump because you don't you're missing an entire story there, and that is really frustrating. But would you, you rather see, they have had the actors with the de-aged effects and have weird? I honestly would have faces? just not had them. You could have just hmm. kept your R two yeah, yeah. your R two three PO through line R two and three PO every single movie. They're the they're that commentary. You know, you follow the droids. And then you could, because hmm. we don't know anything about the Republic, but oh, oh, apparently they're so terrible. Like, there's a whole story there of you have the fall yeah. of a, you have the fall of a Republic, the rise and uh, control and fall of this empire. Then you don't see what happens after. You don't get to see the the stuff that has to go on with it. I guess they're afraid of oh no, if we do political again, people get crazy. This is a great time to do a political movie in in modern times. I, I would argue any piece of art is inherently political, but that's 
but I mean, yeah, making it more more overt, I think, could be something. Um, well, I think that's as far as like the greater scale. So one one thing I like yeah. with with the new characters is that they're they're pretty well defined. They all have goals. They're all fighting for something. But we never really learn what the context is for the First Order in the Republic. What why what what is the nature of that struggle? Why do they hate each other? Why does the Republic think the best way to deal with another empire that builds super weapons is just sending out a handful of people? And and then denying that they're they're they're, they're part of them, because the whole the whole the whole thing was that they were kind of like this like guerrilla group set up you know only sort of funded by them, by the Republic. They're like oh yeah no no that's not us it's totally not our generals and equipment no yeah because like I, in the because in the original trilogy like with just in a New Hope with just a few lines of dialogue you kind of understand the nature of the conflict with with the empire but but here we we don't it's almost like well we'll we'll off we'll we'll wait for we'll wait for the ancillary material to take care of that and this is there's always been ancillary material in Star Wars but this is the first film I ever saw where I felt like they were banking on ancillary material like when when C-3PO shows up and he's like oh you probably don't recognize me because of my red arm my, my initial thought was oh that's funny that he would think people wouldn't recognize him if part of his chassis is a different color but they linger on that just enough. I'm like, oh, oh, this is the movie turning into a commercial for the comic book about the red arm. And it turns out I was right. Within a year, there was a comic book out about why he has a red arm. Not <laughs> only that, big... before there, not only that, before there was a comic book about the red arm in the Lego Star Wars Force Awakens video game, there was a DLC you could pay extra money for, or if you got for free, I guess if you pre-ordered the game, where you could find out how he got his red arm, at least according to the video game. You know that's one of the things that the changes they made when they left out, out of under Lucas instead, as they started saying that okay everything is part of canon. It, that's kind of insane. That implies mm-hmm. that if you need to, yeah. if you want to understand the movie, you need to literally consume everything Star Wars. One along those lines, it's I wouldn't say it's subtle, but people might not notice unless they look closely at the covers. For every Star Wars movie Disney has done, every tie-in thing, whether it's a fucking sticker book or the novel or a comic book or a video game it'll say journey to star wars the force awakens journey to rogue one meaning that if you if this has any sliver of content in the new film you need to buy all 60 of these comic books or whatever the fuck right to get the whole picture going into the movie and i i I agree bj and i agree thrasher you shouldn't need to rely on that shit to I i mean i mean this is like the worst possible universe uh, expansion of what happened uh, the fracas when we were in college with I think the Matrix Reloaded the is that the <laughs> second one where it had the tie in PlayStation Two video game that like filled in parts the of the plot that made no shorts? sense. Uh, yeah, I actually like the anime shorts, but you're right. Yeah, um, maybe I only like the Animatrix because I watched it while getting high for the first time and drunk. So that's <laughs> entirely that helps possible. A lot of things. But it, it, anyway, it helps with something as trippy as the You know, anime, it's, it's funny the they took that, that approach, though, because they yes. didn't do that with yeah. Marvel. And Marvel was well, already, like, being very that's successful. That's fascinating. 
Right, right. Well, the other difference between the sort of the multimedia thing with with the uh, Matrix Reloaded and Star Wars is the, all the multimedia stuff with the Matrix Reloaded was all done under the direction of the Wachowskis. They they had a specific yep. vision. They knew specific beats they wanted covered in the ancillary media, so it all kind of tied together. But in here. It's like, well, it's like, well, I'm just not going to sweat the screenplay. We'll leave it to the people doing the novels and the comics to fill in the gaps. I don't know. I feel I get the, you know, feeling that it's a lot more, you know, dark than that. And that they they actually did plan. I, I, I'm with BJ. I mean, it's like what I always make video game connections. But in this case, I think it makes sense. Uh, you know, uh, with video games, as they're making them, they plan what the DLC is going to be and and meaning extra content that you purchased uh, to add on to the game. And there's been a few video games released where to watch what the real ending is, you have to pay extra money on top of what you paid for the game that you bought. Like, it's... I don't think any of this stuff is by accident, and I think that's part of the reason why Disney wants to have the whole in-canon thing and just have more of a an iron fist, a Darth Vader-gloved iron fist over, <laughs> uh, over all the expanded media to have it connect. Because even if you try to say everything is in canon, everything matches, it won't. That's just the nature of the beast. And um, George Lucas said once, not to, not to harp on him, but this is Star Wars, so I suppose I can. Uh, he said there's three canon canons. There's the, there's the movies, which to me are the one that counts. There's the the books and video games and everything else, and there's whoever whatever people think their personal canon is. And that's that. Honestly, is kind of the the approach I take. I've made my mm-hmm. my opinions on canon perfectly clear uh, in other episodes of this podcast, so I won't yeah. I won't rehash that. But you know, I do like in in my head. I kind of try, like the things that I really like, I do try to create a version where it all fits together, uh, and where I kind of give the creators the benefit of the doubt. Right, and I mean, even you talk about all this stuff being planned, I mean, when the novelizations of these movies came out, I don't think they did this with Force Awakens, but with everyone else, when the novelization came out, it was three months or so or after the movie came out, because they didn't want the book to be spoiling things, and it says, like, at the top, includes bonus content, meaning it has scenes in the book and the novelization that aren't in the movie. It's like, no mm-hmm. shit. That's what a novelization is. It's not... It's not this script with a few paragraphs being like uh, Kylo Ren twiddled his thumbs. I'm Ben Skywalker, says Kylo Ren. And, you know, I mean, they're they're books, right? They're not a script. So, of course, it has added stuff. But just to advertise that is just a real kick in the balls. Uh, Okay. I mean, why don't we talk about the movie in in order then? We've kind of hopped around here, given some initial thoughts. Um, And uh, the opening crawl, Luke Skywalker is missing. I think that's a good hook. You know, it talks about the First Order and, and the Resistance, and, you know, they don't quite... They leave a lot to your imagination, which which works okay. And we're on a desert planet, but it's not Tatooine, although it might as well have been. It's called Jakku. And we're, and we're, and we're introduced to two important figures. Here. Well, three important figures. We're introduced yeah. to Poe Dameron, BB-8, and Kylo Ren. Uh, and I... I... I I was won over by Poe Dameron almost instantly. Uh, he he works really well as kind of a mildly quippy devil may care World War One flying mm-hmm. ace, almost um, yeah. a little I, too quippy. I think I can see that because you, you get some quips out of out of Han Solo, but I feel like they they were going 
for a little bit more than that, and, and it may uh, it kind of took me out of the movie once in a while. He's well, like too much of a stand-up comedian. Yeah, I, we're not even going to get into the, the the beginning of Last Jedi yet. That that whole well, well, I'm not. I don't think it's actually Poe. It's actually throughout this movie there are a lot of scenes where whatever the emotional undercurrent of the scene is, it does get deflated by a character throwing off a one-liner. Um, and mm. with Poe, mm-hmm. I don't mind that because it all seems organic, it all seems natural, it all seems true to character. It's when virtually anybody else does it that it doesn't seem to work. Like, I I truly fell in love with, with the Poe Dameron character when when he's at the mercy of Kylo Ren and there's just that brooding silence and then Poe, in the middle of brooding silence, says, so who talks first? Do I talk first or do you talk first? And like, that, that is one of the few that really felt right, that felt like a Star Wars like line. Well, the other thing about it is that it is that you know it's. I think that shows a crack in Poe's confidence. Like, like that's he's he's smoothing over the fact that he realizes he's at the mercy of one of the big wheels of the First Order. Yeah, and and just the scene, uh, especially I, I saw this one in three D, and I don't often like movies in three D, and you're not seeing it quite as much anymore. But um, the scene in three D of Kylo Ren freezing the laser beam in place was really effective. Oh no, that looked gorgeous in in three D, and and this is this is that is an, that's an amazing moment when when he's got Kylo Ren dead to rights, and he just pauses the blast in the air, uh, and it just stays there for the remainder of the scene. It's like a Chekhov's gun that has been paused. Regrettably, Kylo Ren never does anything that badass ever again. You know, True. it's a, it's that show of force that it's that. I'm trying to think of a good Vader scene. They're trying to make him look like Vader, right? They're trying to get that that Vader impression. But for one thing, you didn't start out with a badass theme song when he comes out of the ship. Whenever Vader comes on screen, you get that, you get the march. And like, even if it's a subtle play of it, when you have Ky- Vader Kylo come in Ren gets a theme, but it's not as good as the Imperial March. It's like da 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 da. It sounds like it's. A I didn't cat even recognize on the it. Piano. Yeah, it, it's, like it's one of those. It's so forgettable, and that's sad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That musical theme—that's a big thing in Star Wars. Is those musical cues, those musical themes. Everybody's got their little, their little motif. And Kylo Ren's is so forgettable. I mean, yeah, I guess the they were—they were trying to make. I guess they were trying to like not have it be so overimposingly evil because they wanted to imply that he could still be good. I guess. But this is Star Wars. If you're gonna make like unsubtle themes that are loud and in your face this is where to do it yeah i feel like the only theme that really works is ray's theme there, mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's a youthful playfulness but also i guess a, a winsomeness uh to it that is really yeah. effective and i think really speaks to the character but none of the other themes left that kind of impression on me uh yeah completely agree um i mean there's some theme for the resistance or something but it doesn't I can't even recall what it is. I'd have to listen to the track, and then I'd be like, oh, I, I kind of remember that. But yeah, I mean, they they did get John Williams to do the music for these movies, but I, I don't think it's it's quite... Uh, it feels like you're just kind of collecting a paycheck this time. Because like even you look at your prequels, they have some really nice musical themes. Yeah. Um, and also some of it is John Williams' style evolving and that he doesn't do as much as the leitmotif as, as he used to. Uh, Phantom Menace was really the last Star Wars score that had really strong themes um 
well, there's a reason why Duel of the Fates like is in mm. every star, every yeah. ad for a Star Wars video game or like any other like Star Wars ancillary thing. That is a great theme. It was like a refinement of all of his stuff that he had explored with the original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, just just a master work of a theme. Um, and also we get uh, Ray in the beginning, and I love that she's alone, but she's also kind of like. A, Kind of like a fanboy, right? She has, or a fangirl. She has, you know, little action figures of of this kind of legend of the rebellion and Luke Skywalker and stuff. She collects. She has a life that that's very hard. You know, she collects scraps. She trades it in for these kind of rations that that look uh, and are like military rations or something. They just look very bland from this delightfully muppety looking creature voiced by. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's Simon Pegg. It's not just voice. It, it, it is Simon, Simon Pegg yeah. in, in a suit. Oh, oh, he's actually in a suit. That's fantastic. Yeah, uh, Simon oh, Pegg doing this really like perfect, uh, rough from an effects character. Yeah, from an, an effects standpoint, this they did an amazing job, amazing blend uh, of CG and real. They did a really good job. I am glad you brought that up because mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about the new movies in general, but this one in particular, are all the puppety oddballs. I love that it's there's yes, so many practical yeah, effects. Right. I love that there are just people in suits and puppet suits, and they don't work too hard to try to make them look realistic. Like the giant space pig, that looks like two people in a ho- in a pantomime mm-hmm. horse costume, but even looking like two people in a pantomime horse costume, it ta- it has a volume and a weight to it that is more real than CGI can ever be. Well, and there's a movement quality to it as well. It's yes. where you where yeah. it moves just a little less human. And so it reads as alien, and that's something that's really important. I think it's one of the problems that you have with Jar Jar Binks, is he moves mm. too human. That's why I can't mm. watch Sid the Science Kid with my with my son, because it, they they look like Muppets, but move perfectly like humans, and it's not oh, right. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, congratulations, BJ. I didn't realize you had a child. Uh, Sorry, and, it's been uh, a long time since we've this talked. This can't go out to anybody quite yet, but we are having another one on the way. Oh, cool! I will make a note and I'm sure this out. won't come out to, until after we've told everybody, but that is uh, that's coming up soon, or it will be in in about wow. nine months. So we have it. That's cool. going to be interesting to have a, you know a whole little crew then. But hey, it, one is, more, and then you get a trilogy. Uh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to. No, please don't. Have, have, have you shown? Salary can't take, can't yeah. handle that. Have you shown Star Wars to your kid yet? Yeah, we watched some things with him. Um, yeah, He's watched Mandalorian with us or... every every Friday. Oh, oh, cool! Man, oh, man. Mandalorian good. is good, but that's off topic. But yeah, um, we I, I like that the movie doesn't shove Han Solo or Leia in your face for the first like twenty something minutes or so. It, it shows some restraint. Uh, also, that you get the character of I can't even remember these characters' names. Finn, I think, starts off really interesting in that he's like a conscientious, conscientious objector with the First Order, and that he has that, like, bloody handprint from another stormtrooper, makes you identify him, that and that he, he looks different, and that Kylo Ren is kind of staring at him, but, like, there's no dialogue. And, and they don't, throughout these films, uh, except for this first one, they don't really deal much that he's a stormtrooper. And, like, they could have. Like, I like the, the germ of that character, but I don't, I don't think they, they do as much with him as they should. Well, I think p- part of it, like, it, it is it is a great introduction, and the idea that we're going to have this character who is a stormtrooper, who has that moment of doubt where he realizes the moral weight of the actions he's being ordered to perform, 
that's a that's a great dynamic and it and the moment he decides to turn on the first order you know we're we're immediately we're immediately on his side and I, and I always like that tension where he keeps saying I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do but somebody always cynically points out oh well you also need something too don't you uh and I think and I think that's true I think you can do it for multiple reasons um but in the case of Finn, this is also where I, th- I think the world building breaks down because we are told very early on that all of the f- all of the First Order soldiers were all abducted as children, in some cases infants, and were brainwashed to be stormtroopers. Uh, Finn at no point ever acts like somebody who was brainwashed, uh, mm. and it, it's it's weird. Like at no like the whole, I kept I kept waiting for like there was going to be a code word or something that would activate him or he was going to have to deal with the trauma of the abuse he clearly would have put up with yeah. when he was being conditioned. But then it also means anytime they're shooting a stormtrooper in one of these movies, they're not shooting somebody who looked at the situation of the galaxy and decided, you know what? I'm going to join the bad guys. You're looking at someone who was forced to join the bad guys and you're just killing another victim of galactic oppression. I, I like there. There's a line of dialogue in here that they sort of speed over. I wish they would have spent a bit more time on it. Where uh, it, it is set up in the prequel movies that the stormtroopers are, are really just clones, but then well, some are. Yeah, well, the, but then the they, implication is that they mm-hmm. they kind of start phasing them out because their their life right they kept is not failing long, or but... they're not or they're kind of dumb or they say like clones are idiots or something. There's some line of dialogue in here which I thought was also they kind of destroyed the the. the at least the the you know the implication is that they they end up destroying the place that makes the clones, so you kind of run out of them. Mm. And you can control sure. the population more if you you know indoctrinate them and conscript them and what have you. Well, yeah, I mean to tie this into a real life thing, you know, I, I, mm. uh, I've been to the Holocaust Museum and uh, you have the Anne Frank section and, and all that, and near the top you you see the the, the Nazis uh, used children's books as propaganda oh, about yeah. the. The, oh yes, yeah. some of the some of the propaganda oh, they have is against is, the Jews and all this stuff and the gypsies and all that. It's truly shocking. Yeah, I know. I'm a history teacher, remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. So that's why. Yeah, I use Star Wars a lot in my class. It's oh. it, it, there's so many things you can pull of to use examples. Whenever I do the rise of Hitler, I always like to show the clip of Palpatine taking over. Unlimited mm. power. Yeah. That's right. No, I was and thinking could, more of the, oh. uh, the 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 one where he reorganizes into the Empire. Oh, and they're just like, yeah, cool, let's do it, yeah! Right, I mean, he was elected into office, and I'd say the yep. same about Trump, but we're not going there, so... Ugh. Hey, all podcasts are inherently political. Uh, I, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we're here um, to talk about Star Wars, I understand. We're to talk about the War so of the Stars. So one thing, before we get too far in um, with, Star, mm-hmm. with The Force Awakens, it's, it's very much he J.J. Abrams' style of shooting a film. Um hmm. Because when Explain you watch that. the original, so when you watch the original Star Wars, right, you really you always start with that establishing shot, like here is where this is, like, a, and it's and a good still shot for a second, and you see a little bit of movement, and then you then you come in. JJ likes to come in on a person, then jump out to an establishing shot, and then mm, back you're in, right. uh, and just the 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 angles and the kind of shots that they take don't really reflect those old serials that uh, Lucas did. Um, it's very much a modern. Moving. Like that really gets me when they get to the the cantina scene, but I don't think we're there yet. Uh, well, 
talking no, about that gets uh, right. And you know, there's a lot more of the camera moving as characters are running, and it, there's a lot. He does this gag a lot where people are running, they say something, and then the camera uh, pans over to the left or right, and you see what they're talking about, or it's like a comment. I mean, it's a good shot. I really think in this one where you know Ray and Finn meet up and they're running around with BB-8, trying to get a ship that'll take them off uh, Jakku mm-hmm. and the ship they want blows up and then they're like oh let's take this piece of shit and the that's not quite the line of dialogue but you know what I mean and then the camera pans over and you I see it's the Millennium Falcon garbage. yeah this the garbage will do and then they pan over it's the Millennium Falcon like what a funny what a good shot what a rewarding shot it's a purely visual joke you don't get those very often yeah, it's funny mm-hmm. as, a, as an old like role playing game player for the, the original Star Wars role playing game that pretty much everything besides the original movies was based on. West End Games, yeah. Yeah, by West End Games. I, I looked and was like, oh, cool, it's another YT-1300. Not not that... Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't read as the Millennium Falcon <laughs> to me. I just, yeah. oh, cool, they found this other one. It's just a fun nod, not a literal, you know, hey, here's that thing you remember. Just, hey, we're, we're kind of poking that this, this is a thing that exists and there are more of them. Well, and South Park really hit the J.J. Abrams thing on the head with uh, a few seasons ago with member berries. Oh, and they, yeah. And that you had, did you see this one, BJ, where they had these oh, little yeah, berries, and it's like, member, member lemonade on the porch, member Star Trek, member Spock, and they get all these good feelings, not realizing that the member berries eventually tells them things like, member racism. It's a, just a brilliant piece of South Park satire. member members. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did Wolf, this, did, this is one of those like tension things because you know we, we talk about yeah. how like uh, both both Ray and Finn they both are like you know th- the stories of the original trilogy they look on as myths and legends that may or may not have exactly happened but it does it does seem strange that that she works like next door to the Millennium Falcon and it never occurred to her that that's the Millennium Falcon uh, and you mm. know a jerk like the because they, they even later on there's some dialogue that explains how many hands the Millennium Falcon passed through before it ended up on Jakku and like the type of jerk who would steal the ship that many times to get it you know they would never stop talking about how well you know I own the Millennium Falcon <laughs> sure Oh, that's a good point, and uh, you have, um, you know, a, a good sequence, I think, on the Falcon that reintroduces Han Solo and, and Chewbacca, and you have the, these pirates, and they fight against this kind of alien, and uh, it's... Harrison Ford sometimes can sleepwalk through performances, but he's shockingly good as Han Solo here, considering how half-assed he played Han Solo last in Return of the Jedi. Well, you know what I think it is? I think that Harrison Ford is just as tired of Han Solo as Han Solo is just as tired of Han Solo in this movie. <laughs> uh, and that he gets a scene with Leia later is just so so nice. Um, but, it works pretty well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Han Solo, he, he although Harrison Ford is older as Han Solo, he can still do the same mannerisms and the gestures and kind of... Uh, I heard this comparison on a, another podcast. I can't quite remember the name because I listened to too many of them. But they they mentioned that Han Harrison Ford plays Han Solo like a like a dork who talks a lot of shit, but just like talks out of his ass all the time, and then has to like cover <laughs> himself up. And that's really true if you think about it. Where he's like, "Oh, I got this ship. Oh wait, it's falling apart. Oh shit, I don't know how to fix it. I just have to wing it." And it's that the kind of smirkiness, the um, 
But but as you said earlier, BJ, that that Han Solo has has the big speech where it's like the Force is true, all of it. That doesn't strike me as a Han Solo line. That should be Luke. God damn it! Like, <laughs> I guess they well, just I, figured that you know Harrison Ford would only sign on for one, so just let's just do you know they'll do make him the Obi Wan. Well, I think it's also in part because they it they completely walk back all of Han Solo's character development from the original trilogy uh, ra- rather than rather than moving him forward because I think you could move him forward and then he could still be working as a smuggler after having some sort of fallout with Leia but instead it all gets walked back but I could totally see a moving forward version of Han Solo who after all he's seen is willing to sort of trust in the supernatural and talk about these these things being real because he's lived through it so many times. Do you, you think know, part of, the of the f- oh go on? Uh, so one of the things that bothers me about the whole situation with him when we first meet him is that the implication that we get at the end of Return of the Jedi with how close Luke and Leia and Han are, and mm. the implication that you know Han and Leia are going to end up together. There's no way in hell that Luke, Han, and Leia would have let Kylo Ren fall to the dark side like that. And then run off and do whatever the hell they're doing. Like, totally ignore family like that. They wouldn't do that. Not the implication... Like, they care too much about that unit, right? And if you brought a child into that unit, you you bet they would be off, like, doing whatever they can to save him or, or stop him versus... Go, oh, I'm going to run my own rebellion, or I'm going to go be a smuggler again, or I'm going to go sit brooding on an island in the middle of nowhere. Like, that's not the implication that those characters would do. These are characters well, th- of action. I think I think it goes deeper than that because that that's one that's one failing in in all of these movies because so you know we've already talked about how Ray in a sense is this sort of is this this bright joyous Star Wars fan whereas in a sense Kylo Ren is the worst asshole type Star Wars fan yes, he, he learns yeah, all the wrong right. lessons exactly. from the trilogy he's obsessed with Darth Vader but we never we never truly learn what motivates him we never it it never comes out in dialogue action or or anything why he idolizes his grandfather during the worst few decades of his grandfather's life like like it, and and unfortunately for me that makes the character to an extent ring false like i i want to understand how he went from being Han and Leia's kid to being this monster. And in fact, they're, they're you know, you mentioned they, they save everything for the expanded universe shit. And I mean, they, they, there's a comic uh, series going on right now about, about Kylo Ren, uh, his origins being seducted by Snoke. And I've read um, little excerpts here and there, and it almost reads like a priest sed- seducing a choir boy. Like, it's really interesting things going on. Like, how um, did Snoke even happen? Like, it seems like... Luke would have stepped in there and gone, all right, I see what's going on here, and done something about that. Maybe it was Luke, like, arrogant, and he's like, I I can fix this boy myself, I'm super Luke, I'm super Jedi, no one's gonna stop me. I mean, it's a big, it's a huge gap, like you said, with the years that has passed, there's so much um, stuff they they don't explain, and stuff that they, they never explain, and not that we need everything explained, but it's so obtuse with the you know as good as they set up the heroes i agree the bad guys are a bit weak kylo ren i mean his voice in the mask i think is really kind of stupid and in the theater uh, i don't think i'm hard of hearing but because of how high they had the bass jacked up i really had trouble understanding him the entire film um through all these movies seeing him in the theater and when i watch it at home on my speakers it sounds fine um 
But it's just it's well, so muffled, like, I, I will not fail you, grandfather. Like, I don't know. It doesn't sound threatening like Darth Vader. It, eh, it's, it doesn't quite work for me. And I think Adam well, Driver is a good actor, but... But strangely enough, it does work for me because okay. he's cosplay Darth Vader, but he's it's, not yes. good at it. Sure, and and that that's yeah. a recurring thing in this in this movie. He wants to be he wants to that's be right. Episode Four Darth Vader so bad, mm-hmm. but he's just not good at it. You know, he he's chosen the wrong goals for himself. I like and, oh, and the mystery you, with Snoke hmm. is so good. Like, yes. I want to know who this guy is. Like that's the I like that that's something that could have been explored so much. And that's one of the like Agreed. I was ready to really explore that. Like that that's that is the one villain thing I think they got right was that mystery of like who is this giant weird ass looking dude on a hologram who is making Kylo Ren just piss his pants. Well, well that was even it's the smart thing they keep is... him as a hologram, right? In oh yeah, well, they don't even, we don't even yeah. know that he's a hologram. As far as we know, he's a real giant until the very end when when it turns out we've been looking at an image the whole uh-huh. time. But and, there's, and, and, there's and, that mystery there of the villain, mm-hmm. like, and even that we had that even with Darth Vader. We had no I had no idea who Darth Vader was. Sure, I mean apparently, I mean I I wasn't born you know before seventy seven, but you know people that were adults that saw Star Wars, they just thought Darth Vader was a weird robot guy. Like he was not meant to be the big cheese, and then he became the audience loved him so much. Return of the Jedi, Darth Vader is the hero, sort of, or it's like his movie, kind of. It's. Uh, you make these characters, you don't know how they go. But yeah, I think Snoke, he looks kind of like the Emperor, but not really. He he talks kind of like him, but it's a different voice. And, and all, all the gold stuff on him, I like the look at him. He he just looks like a creepy, um, I mean, except for the mustache, you know, sort of like a, a creepy Fu Manchu sort of mysterious character. See, my first, well, the other and, thing- my first I thought on him was... um. You remember the comic book they did where that takes place after Jedi and there's like the the, the army of clones of the Emperor... And oh, I was like, oh, it's one of those. Yeah. It's one of those that like went wrong mm. or something like like some experiment mm. that that he was doing. That I, yeah, that's all I could think of. Like, what is this this guy? How did he get out there? How did the emperor not know about him and take him out? Well, I think beyond that, it's this, it's a similar problem with Kylo Ren. Is that Snoke gets such a great introduction, but then he never lives up to that introduction. Right, and like we said, J.J. Abrams is good at at first acts open, starting these trilogies and then I, I wish someone else would have directed the third one but or episode nine but we'll we'll, we'll get there in a few weeks uh, dear listeners so uh, the, the other bad guy is General Hux who is really interesting really he has a good like fiery fascist speech at one point to rally the troops before they use the new super weapon in this movie the Starkiller base that isn't just like a Death Star, but it's like a Death Star ICBM that's like a super missile that splits up into a lot of little missiles, uh, which is, is so what a great visual. A planet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what a great visual of, of that when they destroy all the planets and you get to see the civilians and uh, the, the skies are bright red, even on, on the um, the planet where they're trying to see Maz Kanata or whatever, they see it barely in the sky. It's just such. I think that's a that's a moment that, that worked really well for me. And you can argue, oh, it's another Star Wars movie with a super weapon, and it's like, yeah, but it's Star Wars. They, well, the, Phantom Menace had that. Uh, go on. 
Well, this is where I'm going to pull a Siskel and completely disagree with you. Okay. I felt absolutely nothing uh, after that speech. I felt nothing when five planets got destroyed at once. And I think it's it's in, and it's not and it's not because it's just another planet destroying super weapon. Uh, I mm. in all honesty, going into this new trilogy, I expected we were going to see a super weapon at some point. Of course, it's that just because you've made the threat bigger does not mean the stakes are higher. Mm. I mean, the planets, the five planets that get destroyed, we have no idea what those planets are or why we should care. Just that presumably they're planets in the Republic. Um, the fact that it's just it can shoot once and destroy five planets again that doesn't make it any more terrifying considering um, its recharge rate takes you know you might as well might as well just have a regular death star where you can jump from system to system well and this and this is this is kind of it because th- this this movie is littered with things where jj abrams just makes the number bigger without actually raising the stakes. So, like, in in the original trilogy, we had a Death Star, a battle platform that could destroy a planet. So in this one, we have a planet that can destroy five planets at once, and to fuel it, it has to consume a sun, meaning it it will destroy a sixth solar system just to to charge itself. If the sun comes back, that's the worst thing about it. It's like, it's not even consuming (laughs) a sun completely. It's having a sun snack. But we do the same thing with Maz Kanata, where, uh, you know, the original trilogy had a 900-year-old puppety alien who's very, very wise. So in this one, we have a puppety alien who's very wise and is over a thousand years old. I wonder if Yoda and Maz dated at one point. That, I want to see that rom-com. Well, in, in all honesty, if, if okay, so if I had my druthers... Uh, I would do a little, like, Star Wars short that's young Yoda and young Maz, but their um. dynamic is much more like Luke and Han, where, where, like, Yoda's the bright-eyed idealist who's, you know, close to the Force, and Maz, Maz is the sort of gun-happy smuggler type. Does that mean Yaddle would be like Nurma? <laughs> I don't know if Yaddle would factor into it. That's too bad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so... Maybe that's think- where the child came from. <laughs> I I think the child is a Yoda clone, but that's we'll see in Mandalorian season two, or maybe they won't answer it if they're smart. Keep people guessing. Um, so with the the heroes, as all this stuff is going on, they go to a new planet of Takodana, which I don't think looks very interesting either. It just looks like a planet that that has woods in it. <laughs> but they go to this neat cantina slash castle owned by Maz Kanata, who's the yoga figure. But the cantina, I think, is really neat. You see animals on a spit. You see a lot of puppety nonsense, as Thrasher put it earlier. There's a song by Lin-Manuel Miranda that uh, that plays. Uh, yes, and, and unlike the special edition of uh, Return of the Jedi, the camera doesn't linger on for a three-minute production number. You just kind of hear it in the background, this like Bob Marley-style uh, alien uh, pseudo-reggae thingamajig. But unlike the original Cantina scene, you don't really get these establishing shots of what's where in there and really good look at the aliens. Like, the camera's moving mm. the whole time. So you don't get these right. little vignettes of, like, oh, there's you know, there's these guys over here, these guys over there. And, you like, I don't think you get a really good look at the the variety of creatures and people there. Uh, there's You do get a great character moment before they uh, get into the Cantina where... Um, Finn is kind of talking shit to Han Solo and then Han Solo catches on that Finn is lying that he's not a member of the resistance and, and he says you know, women can always see through you 
And I, it's just such a, a fun little moment. I wouldn't have minded more moments like that. Because you get some with Han Solo and Rey, and Han is like, oh, you know, he kind of offers her a job, sort of, and the way he does it kind of sheepishly is really winning. Uh, I, I don't know. I just like Han Solo, and I would have liked more uh, dialogue scenes with him instead of always having to push the plot forward at 99 miles an hour. Well, it did feel like a lot of movie in this time period. Like It, it felt yeah. like they were trying to cram too much in there. They're tr- cramming a trilogy into one movie, which I could argue is a problem with all of these sequel films. It's the I think the other thing is that so the whole thing at Maz Kanata's uh, cantina, it, regrettably, like ha- having rewatched this last night, th- this is where I think the entire trilogy, in a sense, damns itself uh, because mm. there's a the lightsaber a bit. Yeah, where like Ray Ray feels a pull, goes down into the basement and finds Luke's old lightsaber, the one that that he inherited from Anakin in the basement. And she touches it, and there's all these quick flash uh, visions. And one of the visions is Ray as a little child being left behind on Jakku, and we see her parents' ship blasting away uh, into into space. And I think. And that's where it damns itself because, like, we know we know Ray was left behind by her family, and there's she has this kind of half-hearted. They'll they'll come back one day, like where yeah. she knows they're not, but she needs to keep that hope. And I think that's a good uh, a good setup for the character, and it also creates a dynamic where, well, where if her parents show back up, it's a confrontation that can be satisfying. But if they don't show back up, she could grow as a character and leave that behind, and that can be satisfying. But the moment you show a flashback to her getting abandoned by the parents, you are telling the audience this is very important. Mm. And in two other films, they take it two completely different directions and I, and I find neither one satisfying and worth the inclusion of this uh, this flashback. I think part of that comes from this is not planned out. They didn't. It doesn't feel like there's yeah, a, you're right. a through you're line. Right. There's not that through line. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, I want to ask you two this. What's your fan theory of how they got that lightsaber out of the core of Bespin? Uh, well, Bespin is, is, a, is a gas planet. We didn't follow the hand all the way as it fell through. Maybe Luke's hand... <laughs> Uh, created a force maybe it never shield. left out and it just was well i, I think it some, uh, somehow created it up while they're his, scrubbing a tunnel yeah maybe his his force hand created a force shield it fell through a pipe into the sewage system and and as bj hinted at i think we're on the same wavelength here uh and ugnot picked it up out of the shit out of the where the pipes were, were spitting the waste and and cleaned it off and said this looks good and then uh you know, much like in the. Millennium I bet Falcon. it was the guy. It's Nick Nolte from the Mandalorian. That's who did it. Well, I, I was about I to say he picks it up and si- he picks it up and says, "I have taken I have this lightsaber." Yeah, and it passes through a, a lot of hands, including one Han Solo. But it he loses it, and uh, yeah, and Maz somehow gets it. it. And that line of dialogue in this is so irritating, but so J.J. Abrams, where they ask. Well, Han Solo basically says, "Well, how did you get how, how did you get that?" And she's like, "That's for another time." And it's never oh. answered. Like, I don't need to know how you got it. That character asks it, it has that question, and then your your response is like, "Maybe for the sequel, maybe for a comic book." I mean, you might as well flash a phone number on the screen. 1900 <laughs> buy my comic. You can find out the real answer as to how Maz got the lightsaber. Unless Luke didn't have the real one in the first place. Oh, no. Dun, dun, dun. Well, there is that 
deleted scene in Jedi of Luke building a new lightsaber. What do you mean he didn't have the one in the first place? No, like what if what if the one he got from Obi Wan was not actually Anakin's? Oh, that's because that's a that's a uh, that, that's like yeah. if M Night Shyamalan directed it instead. Right, and then Luke just drowns in a puddle. I think would be the ending of all that. But <laughs> oh dear, he may as well have been considering how you know the time the amount of time he was in this movie. He might as well have been face down in a puddle somewhere. Well, in, in interviews, Mark Hamill was was upset about this trilogy for a few reasons, but one reason was he had. Uh, you know, they made him lose a lot of weight, and Carrie Fisher also had to lose a lot of weight for this part as part of their contracts. And and to lose oh, all that wow. weight, just to have a scene, to lose, like, I think over 30 pounds maybe, you know, quite quite a bit, to to have just a scene where just you take off your cloak and turn around. It's like, they could have done that with computer graphics, or, you know, they could have, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, he just seemed, he, he in some interview, he said he felt like that he wasn't in it because he wasn't in a scene with Han and Leia, which I think was a grave mistake. Uh, unfortunately, that's a literal grave mistake, as uh, Carrie Fisher died uh, during the making of these of uh, these films after their making of Episode Eight. But um, he says he felt like the kid left out in the car while the parents get to go into the party and have fun. And considering he's like one of probably the main character, because you're, you're yeah, following him, yeah. like it, it, yeah, it, it, that's sad. Well, it, it it is kind of a where are we going to get to the fireworks factory? Because that's the whole setup. Luke Skywalker has vanished, and mm. everybody's chasing this map fragment that will show how to get to wherever he's hiding. And the whole time, well, when are we going to get to Luke Skywalker? And then we do, and then it's done. It's almost like that should have just been the whole idea of the trilogy. It's like we have a whole trilogy about finding Luke Skywalker, and he, you know, but we cut to like Luke doing stuff on the planet. It's like, but you don't know where that planet is. And he's totally oblivious to all the stuff going on around him, but you, you see him still, and you kind of establish it. He's there, he's alive, but he's doing something important. So what is that important thing? We don't know yet, because we never hear him. We mm. just see him doing his his Jedi shtick. I think part of the fan bitchiness about this trilogy, really, is you have a whole generation of people like like us who who grew up reading the expanded novel universes and comic books, for better or worse. And so you kind of know when that storyline what happened and so everything in these sequel trilogies that happen you're measuring up against what happened in these novels that no longer count and they're in the legends canon well, what gets me this, is that these on. directors yeah. and these people who are behind it they're very similar in our age they grew up doing the same stuff hmm yeah yeah that's a good point thrasher well, well the other thing is that um and and this has happened to me now twice and may very well happen a third time is that this trilogy has to compete with the trilogies we wrote in our heads yes uh, that's right and i went through the same i went through that with the prequels i went through that mm. with this trilogy and i think it's inevitable we're going to get another trilogy in 10 years and it may that same thing is going to happen it's going to end up competing with whatever amazing adventures i've been plotting out <laughs> it's just a fan See, it'll I, happen with I've, ghostbusters <laughs> oh yeah I've enjoyed though the the non-series stuff of Star Wars that Disney's put out much more. Mm. Like I, I really enjoyed Rogue One, good old-fashioned like espionage movie. And then you yeah. get a, a classic heist movie in Solo, and then Mandalorian like harkens back to the old Western samurai movie feels that, that you got from the original stuff. Like uh, those to me have been better and felt more like put together Star Wars than than some of the the stuff in these new this new trilogy. 
Right. Even the cartoon Star Wars Rebels, I think, is, is pretty good. Um, Resistance I'm not as crazy about. Um, and the Clone Wars stuff gets better as it goes on. I'll be curious to see how they wrap that up uh, on Disney Plus here coming up. But I want to know yeah. how they're going to handle Ahsoka. Like, I, it's, that's the that's, mm-hmm. that's thing. like that's a character you could have brought in that would have been really fun and to kind of tie oh, yeah. in some other stuff. Just like sure. even if you didn't have Luke. Like well, it'd be kind of cool to see you know you bring in some of these these other ancillary characters that have been around for a while because Rebels had been on for a while, Clone Wars had been out for a long time before they made this thing. I, it would have been nice to see those tie-ins. Like I don't think that's going to happen until we get a writer or director who has a love for those characters. See, that's Dave Filoni may... should be running the entire Star Wars division. Hmm. He's the guy, one guy at Lucasfilm yeah, that yeah. really knows Star Wars. He's had two successful series that were probably ended before their time just because they said, eh, we had enough. Not that he couldn't write, you know, or get people to write more, but the guy is a damn good showrunner when it comes to, to what is Star Wars. I agree, and he worked so, speak, directly into Speaking the, of what is on. Star Wars, uh, everybody gets together at the Resistance base, and now they have to figure out how to take down another super weapon. I mean, that's the joke about all the Star Wars novels, right? All the characters are split up on different planets, but they all meet up on the same planet at the end of the book. Like they all have that Yeah, but that's only because structure. that happens in almost every movie. Right. <laughs> True. And, 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 I mean, you talk about story structure, you want your heroes to get together to do the big uh, battle at the end. You know, I think this, this part actually did a disservice to Finn. Um, when you talk about like, oh, you know, he, he's a stormtrooper, right? Well, then you find out he was just a janitor, and that kind of makes it even like it takes some of that conscientious objector pro- plot line, you know, a different True. way. Sure. Like, oh, he just got—he's just the one who got told to go fight that day, when he's actually just a, a maintenance guy, you know. Well, well, actually, I believe they—I believe there's a line of dialogue saying that he requested a transfer. Uh, well, yeah, nobody wants to. Cl- do you? Would you want to clean? <laughs> You want to clean space latrines for? for I don't know. These? That's it. Isn't that safer than being on the front lines? I mean, if you're, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not the transfer he requested. I'm pretty sure he was probably looking. Like, <laughs> I like to do Tie Fighter well, maintenance, you know. Well, that, that you know, that's that's kind of funny because there, uh, there's a lot has been said about these movies, but one thing that I that I I liked was that there was a there was a guy. Uh, there was there was a I wish I could remember his name. There was the, a guy he, who who used to be in the army who talked about that specific scene where he's like, "I was in sanitation and maintenance," and, and he points out like logistics is kind of is one of the most important jobs in the military because without logistics, your whole army dies of typhoid before it actually gets to the fight. I have also heard Strange. stories about people in charge of. Um you know, latrines and stuff out in the Middle East where it's so hot, there's very specific things you have to do to keep, uh, because of the extreme heat, keep, um, you know, shit and from hardening and all these weird things. And, and when they move from one base to another to get rid of all that stuff, it's it, it's quite a thing. And I mean, as we saw, Thrasher, when we talked about more American graffiti and the Vietnam scenes, there, there's quite a lot of uh, work that goes into uh, latrine duty. But and so this is something that I I didn't like when I first saw the movie, but upon revisiting it, I actually kind of liked quite a bit. Is that they is that unlike the the like the Death Star, there's not like a single structural weakness. They have to perform a full on assault on one part of on the on the that big building that is like contr- 
controls the capacitor or whatever that keeps the plasma at the core of the, of the planet stable. Which, for being um, so like important, it seemed a little underprotected. Agreed. It, well, they I got in there too easy. Well, I think it's because they assumed the shields would keep everybody out. Although this is this is something that all of these movies have a have a problem with is that uh, is you know that. Uh, that Finn, that uh, Finn, Ray's been captured, so uh, so Finn and uh, Han Solo and Chewie they get on the Falcon, and their job is to secretly get on the planet and disable the shield projectors so that the rest of the the rest of the Resistance fleet can move in and assault that uh, that 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 facility. And he he has the thing like the only way this like the shields will keep out anything moving at sublight speed. So the only way we can get there is by dropping out of light speed. After we've passed through the shield, but before we go through the core of the planet, um, and it's like, but that's impossible. Flips a switch, and we've done it. That falls so flat. That's the whole problem with the sequel trilogy. Is so many times they, they introduce a good problem, and then it's a quick fix because you got to move on to the next scene. And I, I, well, it's fixed the moment they're done explaining what the problem is. That, and yes. So there's no tension. There's no tension. You don't get to breathe. You don't get to have a, a good action beat. Um, but speaking of which, when when you're doing the assault onto the space, which is basically the same thing that happens in Return of the Jedi when they attack the base to remove the shields, um, you know, so they can attack Death Star 2, is you have the scene where Han Solo dies and Han Solo meets with Kylo Ren, who's his son, Ben Solo. And this should be a heartfelt scene, but like I felt nothing at this scene. Even watching it again, I thought I'd feel something. And it was like, nope, the only time I cried in this movie was uh, when Han Solo met Leia and they played the old John Williams Leia theme. Because mm-hmm. those are characters I had real attachments to and I've you know, been obsessed with this series for my whole life. You know, my, uh, my thoughts when he walked out on the thing was, oh, Chewie's going to be so sad. Didn't care what happened to Han. because, <laughs> But at that point, it's just, oh, Chewie's going to be sad. It is nice and that then you Chewie don't get gets to pissed see off. Sad Chewie. You don't get to see sad Chewie. You get to see a pissed off Chewie like firing at Kylo Ren's shoulder, which I thought was neat. But, um, yeah, even at the end where you, you think there'd be a scene where, where Leia and Chewie get to grieve, but nope, no time for that. Not really. There's like a, a light hug or something and people crying. And I believe oh, the, the light hug was with Rey. Uh, yes, which is even weirder. Oh. It's it's strange because I was affected by by the the, really? the death of Han Solo because okay. like because I, I I really I really felt for him reaching out to his son trying to re- trying to redeem his son uh, and and I thought that it did successfully echo Luke trying to redeem his father I thought that was a neat reversal uh, and I also you know it really it, I I felt a real punch in the gut when when. Kylo Ren impales uh, Han on the lightsaber and tosses his body off the bridge, and, and and but beyond that, I thought, oh, this is the moment that this new trilogy cuts ties with the old trilogy. Mm. Retroactively, it turns out that is not what Correct. happened. Um, but in the moment, I thought I thought that it did work. See, I was really hoping too that that would come back and haunt him constantly. Yeah. But it's I don't. Well, it doesn't they, feel like it's really played up again. Like like every time he kills somebody who's important to him, like I feel that like that should have weighed upon Kylo Ren, and just brought him down and, and sent him deeper into the depression and the dark side. And so, well, but strangely enough, they imply that that's happening, but we never spend enough time with Kylo to see it happen. Even earlier in the movie, we get a line of Kylo of uh, Kylo Ren. What did I say? Kylog, uh, <laughs> where he talks to his. Uh, the the burnt up 
mask of Darth Vader, which is kind of a cool visual, but he says, like, I am afraid, grandfather, I am going into the light. But we see no evidence of him, like, being going into the light. He talks about it. He talks, but he doesn't do. And, um... Well, I think there's a moment of that when he when he starts to hand his lightsaber to Han. I, I don't yeah. think that's a fake out. I think he is torn. Um, but in the moment when he takes Han's life, well, we know that conflict's resolved. That he stabs Han and tosses him over the edge, I think, is a bit lame. If I was doing it, he would have chopped off Han Solo's head to be like, oh, shit, this guy's really lost it. I think that it. would have been a... I think that they would have had to change the rating of the movie for that. Sadly. It, it was it, PG-13 it also- already. It was PG-13 already. They could have uh, done I, it. I don't know where beheadings go. I don't, I don't so know. You, you can... I think if they cut off his head and then he just sort of kicked the body off the ledge like it was nothing. Hmm. Could have been something more ice cold, but I guess that's a bit more over the top. Um, something felt muted about that scene. I don't know... Would a flashback have helped? I'm not sure. It's just we have these new characters who are supposed to care for him so much, but then Kylo especially, they haven't built up very well. And I think it's... Han, Han is... Han loves his son, but he's not stupid. I feel yes. like Han yeah, should yeah, have yeah. had That's his it. gun out and at, like had shot Kylo right at the same time. Like huh. that would have been a very hmm. Han Solo move to have that under the table gun just in case. Like, hey, well, if anybody's going to is... take out my son because he's gone bad, it's going to be, gonna me. be me. Ooh, like that like seems it. like a I, Han I Solo think... move. I like it. I think this is where walking back his character development hurts the film. Yes. Because yeah. I think, BJ, I think, I think you're right. Since he's reverted back to episode four Han Solo, him secretly being armed and having a contingency plan makes sense. But a Han Solo who had moved forward and gone through a bunch of life changes, I can buy that that he would come into that conflict unarmed, but we don't we don't really see that he's a Han Solo that has that has moved forward. Hey, pedantic pedantic fan moment here. Why is Kylo's real name Ben? Ben Kenobi? Because they didn't want to use the actual names given in the in the movie, in the books. Because they were afraid to do that. Well, what? Because because in the books uh, they had three. You have kids, Jason. Is that right? You have Jason and Jaina, who are the 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 twins. And, the and then later on, they have a young one that they call Anakin. Yeah. If his just, name had been Anakin, it would a lot of Kylo Ren would make sense. Hmm. I you know I could see that because it just it just struck me as like well wait a minute Han Solo never knew Obi Wan Kenobi as Ben and neither did Leia and why he would call himself Kylo Ren with the whole like thing about the Knights of Ren why doesn't he just call himself Darth Kylo or Darth Ren or something like that like he's idolizing <laughs> Vader so much but That's he funny. won't take that step because you know, the where title is of, like the title of Darth has to be bequeathed by a Snoke? I have no idea. Sith? Uh, there are none, because mm-hmm. it's not implied that Snoke is Sith. Uh, They're like, this is a stark hmm. guy. If he was Sith, I'm pretty sure Luke would have gone at it. That's why Luke was like, hey, you've been hanging out with that, that Snoke again. Don't do that. Okay, I have... I, I'm going to save this for pitch a sequel, but there is an idea I have that resolves all of that. Right. But we have completely lost the thread on Ray uh, in our discussion. Oh, well, and so yeah. does the movie at this point, really. Because, I mean, Ray, they, until you get the climactic scene where Kylo and Ray are fighting in the woods in the snow, which is a really neat visual and I think a really good scene, um, they don't do as much with her at this point. Like, they kind of put Ray on pause and uh, make it be the Han and Kylo story. And that's sad because well, she's well, supposed she does... to be your Luke-type character. 
That's right. And and you're you're losing her in in this movie that's kind of about her. Well, yeah, she spends all, she spends a lot of time here captured, being interrogated by being interrogated by Kylo Tortured. Ren. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. trying to get the map out of her head. There is there's a scene. It's Alright, so a lot, a lot of people have accused the character of Rey as being a Mary Sue. I do not agree with that criticism because she is not treated... Mar- Mary Sues tend to be treated as really, really precious within the narrative, and I do not think Rey is treated that way. Uh, she she has vulnerabilities that a Mary Sue never gets. That being said, the mind trick scene frustrates me from a storytelling perspective Uh because on, on the one, like, like it, it is kind of a neat scene where just she keeps repeating a Jedi mind trick phrase until it works, mm. and, and and that is kind of neat. That being said, flavor wise, I never like it when the mind trick is outright mind control, uh, especially since once you've shown the character doing that once, you got to wonder why aren't they always doing it? Um, because that leads to the dark side. Which is well, something okay, they, that, they that, never that, actually that discuss. True. Like, what are the implications of using the Jedi mind trick? That, that's something I don't think but, is ever actually really discussed in, in any of the, the official The stuff. ethics of doing yeah. the mind... Like, could, could that make someone uh, an invalid <laughs> using the Jedi mind trick I on them? Their mind never I, recovers? I don't think it would, if but you, do like, it. you are denying someone their free will, yes. and that does seem more Sith than, than Jedi. Um, but the Jedi are kind of I, assholes, I think... aren't they? Isn't that what the prequels taught us? And that their belief they're, they're, with they're the Jedi caught up, up their own butts right now. To, to they're too yeah. caught in tradition and not and not willing to like progress forward. And that's their uh, tradition. That's, tradition. Yep. <laughs> so, so like I said, so I so like I don't I don't mind that she's able to sort of manifest this this power without without any particular training, especially since we do see her build up to it. Like I like that we see her fail twice before it finally works, and it does seem to be a supreme effort of will. I think what it is is that it does. It it lingers too long because she she orders the guy to free her. She he does that. She orders him to to walk down the corridor but leave the door open. He does that, but then she orders him. Oh, and drop your weapon. And I think like that beat is where it takes it a bit too far. I guess they were playing it for mm-hmm. laughs at that point, and that's well, quite you possible. Comedies yeah. and threes. So, but but the. But the final showdown with with Ray Finn and Kylo is is pretty is pretty neat. Yeah, I like yeah. that we get to see Finn with a lightsaber and hold his own un- until he doesn't. I like seeing Ray summon the lightsaber to her. Uh, I like the I get the other thing I like, and this is this is a minor thing, but we, you know, uh, Kylo's been shot by by Chewie. And he keeps pounding on the wound, yeah. and I really like that. That grounded it because, like that, that is an actual that is an actual technique. If you have a, if, it's interestingly enough, if you have like a persistent pain, like a like a plasma burn would cause, sort of hitting the area around it kind of releases endorphins and can help you deal with that pain. And it kind of shows he doesn't have the willpower to just shrug it off. He's got to res- resort to these really base physical tactics to keep himself going. I read that a little different. I read that more as he was using the pain to fuel his anger. I, I thought that too. He was side. psyching himself up. You, you, think, huh. you think of the sort of battle scenes in something like Troy where these Roman warriors would like all hit themselves on the chest and kind of get... Yeah, get that fighting spirit up. But I, I could see it working both ways uh, as well. And it's it's an interesting scene because, you know, they're going to have a fight. And because this is the first movie in a trilogy, no one is going to, you know, kill the other person at this point, you'd assume. Um, 
And no, we'd never kill a person right as soon as we really introduce them. Well, not well, in this trilogy. <laughs> no, so no, sorry, nope. Not not after one of the best space battle sequences. We kill off a pilot. Nope, nope, nope. Not in this one. Uh, okay, let's, let's save that for next week. But yeah, okay. uh, resistance. Uh, but yeah, as they, you know, you get the Star Killer base explodes. Everyone is like celebrating, and you could have had some a real scene warning Han dying like I, like not not a funeral pyre he's not a jedi but something you could have like, had a, like a almost like Leia. the ceremony yes Th- like but, but like like a right. han memorial ceremony or something mm-hmm. well it would have been an interesting counterpoint to the metal scene uh in episode Ooh, four exactly. having having the I characters like mourn yeah. the losses yeah and, and ha- have have on the gravestone he always shot first <laughs> he's shooting first in heaven now uh uh, but I have but, to say that. Oh, go on. Well, I you know we get we get the resolution where it turns out C three PO has the other half of the map and he activates because the plot tells him to and you know, they learn oh that's where Luke R2-D2 is. R two D two wakes back and, up. And the and it should have ended with Ray and Chewie getting on the Falcon and taking and taking off and jumping Completely. to hyperspace to go to Luke. Yes. But instead, the movie lingers way too long, and by the time we finally get to her seeing Luke Skywalker, I'm exhausted. I, w- I wish the movie had ended five minutes before that. Do you find it was, it almost, was, interest- like a, it was almost like um, a Return of the King ending. Yes. Where it had, uh, you know, Finn and Poe jumping on the bed together as, uh, before they all were crowned king. But, yeah, with, with, uh, <laughs> with, with this ending, you have Ray's theme, you know, swelling. She's climbing up these rock carved steps and you see Luke Skywalker in here for like 0.5 seconds not saying anything and she presents him with the saber I I was kind of moved at that point but I wasn't sure what was going to it was clearly an ending just to get people talking and I think it would have felt more Star Wars-y Thrasher if it would have been Iris out on the ship taking off towards the planet Um, here's the thing that came to mind as I rewatched this she leaves, Ray leaves with R2-D2 should it have been BB-8 the new robot it probably should have been mm-hmm. like like R2D2 and C3PO C3PO are best or at their best when they're together and they barely share any screen time in this or any of the other movies. Right. Was this before or after Kenny Baker died? I think this was before, wasn't it? Like right before? I think before they might have just had him just in one shot just to throw his name on there. Um I'll let me I'll, I'll check. Or maybe they had his name posthumously in the different movies out of respect. I don't you know with the top billing uh I'm not quite sure. Uh, yeah, he he died in 2016. This was 2015, so I think so they would have filmed it. Okay, so he um, he got looped. <laughs> oh. he, he, he's in it for yeah. he gets to do it for one scene because literally R two just sat there, probably empty for the rest of the time. So they put him in there for one scene. You, you don't think they forced Kenny Baker to climb in the R two D two and just sit there and do nothing? Like just be a bored R two. You can't move. You can't. No, but I bet they did noises. force him to lose 30 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 no. I, I think they use CG to slim down, taking R2 a bit at the waist a bit. He, 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 he had too much uh, too much gravy and biscuits uh, every morning on craft service. Well, well, do y'all remember that short film that Lucasfilm made when the new trilogy entered production about R2-D2 getting back into shape so he could star in another Star Wars movie? No, no I didn't see that one. I forget what it was called. Like a, dro- it had like a like a title like a droid for all seasons or something. But the premise is R two D two is an actor. So when the new trilogy enters production, it's about him 
getting getting ready for the That's part stupid. of R2-D2 in episode one. And there's a scene where R2-D2 is like watching the news and sees an entertainment reporter announce that a new Star Wars movie is entering production. And like R2-D2 has like a pot belly. Like <laughs> That's pretty good. I like the idea that they literally just stuck a pot to him as a pot belly. That would be <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, oh, man. Right. Did you know, uh, BJ, that we did a, uh, a series of episodes on the droids cartoon? Yeah, I, I listened to some of that. It was pretty good. I, oh, cool. I, could, I would like to get a hold of that, that show for my son. You know, I'd like to be able oh, to... Oh, it's only on YouTube at the moment. Um, I, I found some DVDs on Amazon. I have to see about it. You know, but it's a little more expensive than I can throw at right yeah, now. Yeah, the, the, mm. the, the official DVD they released is um, c- compiles kind of two-thirds of the episodes recut into features feature length uh, presentation which is weird and they take out the excellent theme song and replace the music and huh. some of the voice acting so it's lucas uh, especially in additions additioning something yet again i you know i really wish that they would they would bring back the uh, ewoks movies i i have fond memories of those oh, yeah. as, a, as a child and those those were I mean, re-released it, it actually in your original form you you ha- you finally have the most common name in star wars it's Mace. You, Mace. It's Mace. Oh, because the brother was named Mace, and then we have Mace yeah. Windu. So now we know the John of of Star Wars is Mace, <laughs> and also Wilfred Brimley. Yeah, it was a, it, yeah, and and the second one is you know pretty violent at the beginning. The family gets killed off. Totally. Yeah. You, you yeah. Get, and, you, and get, George, you get like the return of the right. sorry the Empire Strikes Back going on there. Well, Lucas claimed he did that because he was going through a divorce at the time, and he had difficult feelings about family but he also used that as the excuse for the heart pulling scene out in uh, Temple of Doom because he felt like his heart was being torn out during his divorce yeah and artist George, gonna I, art man uh, art, artist gonna art I, I need that on a t-shirt that's pretty good <laughs> so so with that in mind um, would we give a, a sequel yes to The Force Awakens uh, I do I give it a sequel yes I think it's I would argue it's the most successful of this new trilogy. It introduces some characters that are interesting, some are not. Uh, I completely agree with Thrasher's feelings that Kylo Ren and Rey reveal a good and a bad fan of Star Wars and or, or of any kind of fandom in a way. Um, I think that's a good reading of it. And uh, yeah, it makes it makes you curious for what happens next. And I thought at the end of this, finally, they you know they had to kind of imitate Star Wars to get to win people over and make a lot of money so maybe they can go somewhere new with the sequels is what I thought after this film uh, BJ I have to agree with you there I think it's definitely a yes um, you know, it gave me a, a new hope if you will for, for oh. the possibilities of Star Wars <laughs> um, not just because it felt a lot like it but it did introduce some characters that seemed like they were going to be really compelling uh, and I, I was eager to, to, to follow them and see you know, how does their interaction with Han Solo, you know, change? You know, how does Rey and, and Han's, like, little, you know, short relationship affect her, like Ben and, and, and Luke and such? Well said. So, yeah. In, and, you know, this 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 is, it's all stuff we've seen before, so in a way it was an attack of the clones. Um, oh. But... 
it's it's it, it, like I said, it's the it's a greatest hits album of, of Star mm. Wars. It's not the deep cuts. It's not the stuff that shows true artistry. Mm. But you know, it's it's all the fun stuff. Um, so when I when I saw this, it, when I was my first time seeing this in the theater, it was my wife's second time seeing it in the theater. She had managed to get to it before me, but it was also my cousin Melissa and her husband's second time seeing it. They had mm. seen an opening day, and leaving the theater. There was this moment where my cousin Melissa just turned to me and 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 said like said you know when we were growing up I did not understand why you loved Star Wars so much but now I get it ah. I love Star Wars and uh-huh. that was so kind of beautiful and powerful of a moment that you know for all my criticisms and for for all the flaws I got to give this a, this a sequel yes not only do I want to see more and see where this narrative can go uh, regardless of where it actually went. <laughs> I I think like I do think this movie did bring in multiple generations of new Star Wars fans in a really fun fun way like for for expanding the fandom the way it did this this movie does deserve a lot of praise I think it did something right that that George Lucas tried when he made his the prequels it tried to he was trying to reach out to kids he just didn't realize that kids already liked what was happening and so it oh, just yeah. it just did what what was already good and what attracted us when we were kids. He didn't you didn't need to do anything new to attract younger audience. My big theory with the the George Lucas and the prequel trilogy versus the original trilogy is the original trilogy was kind of like tonally like a wham bam pow uh you know like like the serials like like a comic book, right? In the prequel trilogy, tonally he was going for something like James Mishner's Coruscant like a big thick novel a lot of exposition a lot of kind of uh some stuff ties together how history works though you're right yeah you have to you have to you have to have all this this boring stuff that leads to those wars there's this, this stupid dynastic power struggles and whatever that's what leads to those dramatic moments but and with the dramatic moments without context you don't learn anything from them you can't eat your pudding if you don't have your meat yep (laughs) <laughs> Thrasher. Uh, well, I was saying that, that, that with the pre- with the prequel trilogies, you know, yeah, the the original trilogy, it's it's Buck Rogers, it's Flash Gordon. The original trilogy was a lot more was a lot more like the the Foundation novels by Isaac Asimov. Mm, yeah, you know, very right. very talky, dealing with some heady historical concepts with with some action in there, but that's that's not the focus. And and you know, here we're getting we're getting back to. I guess that's the strange thing because because in, in this movie they're not harkening back to the serials; they're harkening back to Star Wars. So it's a Star Wars movie inspired by Star Wars. Greatest this is fan a, film ever made. This is a Star Wars ass <laughs> Star Wars movie. Um, speaking of ass, let's pitch a sequel. I uh, all right. I, yeah. Um, what I have in mind. So it, it is tricky doing this exercise, right? When you have a lot of thoughts on what actually happened in the sequels, but we're gonna. That's the, the fun of pitch a sequel is it lets your mind wander. I will have it where it begins where where this one ends, where um Ray hands the lightsaber over to uh Luke. Luke takes the lightsaber and uh as he puts up his cloak, he kinda waves his hand, his cloak instead of being like tan, is now turning dark black. And you see kind of a red glowing in his eyes. You realize, oh no, Luke has become a Sith. And he murders Rey right off the bat. Oh my god. And so Luke has been on this planet. And he has been... He wasn't... Instead of being disgusted or ashamed at himself for, for not training Kylo Ren, he realized that 
Kylo was right, the Emperor was right all along. The dark side is the way to true power and has been doing his own like self training, masturbatory, jack off dark side super training. And Luke is now the ultimate <laughs> Sith wanting to link up with, with Kylo to take down uh to take down everything. And it it's it's just this kind of batshit, super violent, rated R dark, dark, dark film where at the end like almost nobody survives. Uh and it's revealed that um when Ray was killed, she was pregnant with Kylo Ren's baby, but somehow the baby was forced transported into a tube somewhere, and that baby survived. <laughs> well, was it forced transported into Leia? Because that would be. I, I like that better. Yes. Okay, it's forced transported into Leia like a oh. surrogate, uh, ectotopic <laughs> child. Force. It's like Beastmaster. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, uh, yeah, saber. Yeah, beat saber, master, whatever. Yeah, and and so that is that that that's how it ends, and it's going to be called Star Wars Episode Eight. Take a Luke. <laughs> Take a Luke. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and, and the movie poster would be. It would start off with like a, a, a teaser poster of an extra close-up of Ray looking really surprised, and then the main poster would be Ray looking surprised with the lightsaber through her stomach, but you don't see who's holding it. And then right as the movie comes out, there'd be a trailer and a poster that would ruin everything with Luke Skywalker, like, gutting Ray in the stomach. <laughs> Luke who's talking. God. That's what it should be called. <laughs> okay. Uh, BJ, what's your pitch as equal? Uh, let's see. Um, Alright, we start out, we got our opening crawl. We see a starfield, we pan down, we see a Star Destroyer shooting at a ship. We pan down to a desert planet, and it's literally just Star Wars The New Hope again. <laughs> wow, that, so is it like alternate dimension? Do they No, no, it literally just we're just reissuing it, putting a new number on it, so that we can make more before and after it. We're just we're rebooting. We're rebooting everything right here. Not not a remake, just the same film with the literally crawl the same food. We're just number. renumbering it so that we can add more prequels and more sequels. So it's episode eight, A New Hope. Yes, got it. <laughs> Which cut? See, I, I was originally thinking we need to do some sort of like machete thing going on where we you know, maybe we cut back. You know, we cut from Ray back to like see Luke, and we have like find out how Luke got there and stuff. But like, eh, mm. you know what? That's just too. That's too hard for audiences to follow. Not for general audiences. The, it's not going to make any sense for Disney to do that. The, so the we'll only difference Han is original. constantly shooting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why everybody's so hung up on that. It totally. It doesn't. Does it really matter? Han's no. the one that I was able to actually no. shoot somebody under a table without looking. And not get shot himself. Like, that's that's pretty badass. Well, and what I realized rewatching, you know, all of the movies before the new one recently is, you know, Han Solo is cool. A lot of people say, like, they want to be Han Solo. But for me, even as a child watching the original Star Wars, I realized the character that I was. Do you want to take a guess? Leia. Babu Frick? No, the original Star Wars, Thrasher. Oh. <laughs> you said Leia. That's a good guess. Thrasher? 
Uh, Luke? Nope, C-3PO, because he's always anxious. Ah. I was always a chewy kind of person. uh, Yes, he's a droid, not a person. Fine. Okay. Um, Oh, no, I I was always much more of a (laughs) chewy fan. I always saw myself as as that guy. This is the the big hairy sidekick. Dependable, right. He's a good soul. see that. He, uh, he gets to take a, hot, a shower with Han. That's a fun moment in the Han Solo <laughs> movie. Um, I, I do wonder what that original cut would have been like, right? By those directors of the, the Lego movie. Oh, yeah. That would have been... Fa- that would have been interesting. Like that, that, I could see yeah. that going some interesting places um, with that cast. I really enjoyed that cast. Yeah. I, I really like Donald Glover, especially as a Lando. Just such spot on and the robot stuff. Oh, just so that's good. Yeah, the, the that's something that really pissed great. me off about this movie. That we didn't know anything that happened to Lando. It wasn't even mentioned. Yep. Like the guy was a major character for for two movies, mm-hmm. and you didn't even mention him. The absence of Lando was acutely felt in this film. Yes. Okay, so so in all honesty, if I were to change anything in this movie it would be that after Han runs away from Leia Leia and Lando hook up <laughs> oh god Whoa. really it, it could be a rebound thing it could be just them it, not, and it doesn't even have to be romantic it could just be them turning to each other and then, and then their love child is abducted by the first order and it happens to be Finn Oh, oh, oh and, wow! No, and okay. the last line of dialogue is an homage to to Moonraker, where C three PO is like, "Oh my, he's attempting re-entry, Mister Slayer." Good lord! Okay, so in all honesty, uh, BJ, that capper you put on it, where, where Finn is the child of Leia and and uh, Lando, I kind of like that. That was a meme boy. It, it would be more the... developed than that he got, which which is sad. Mm-hmm. All right, so Thrasher, what's your pitch of sequel? So, so my pitch of sequel is going to be Star, Star Wars uh, Episode Eight: Shadow of the Force, or Shadow of the Sith, Shadow mm. of the Sith. And so, you know, in in this one, you know, Leia's going to go, going to we're, we're going to, you know, Ray is going to be with Luke and is going to be trying to bring him up to speed. And and you know, and and there's this you know Dark Force guy, Snoke, who turned her who turned your nephew and all this stuff. And and Luke's like, there's no other, there's no other like Dark Force user out there. I would have sensed him. And and so you find out that the reason Luke went into exile is that he kind of assumed his job was he kind of put himself into early retirement because he thought after, you know, Kylo's betrayal, well, Kylo's never going to be uh, uh, good enough with the dark side of the force to be a threat to anybody. And for some reason, Luke is completely ignorant about Supreme Leader Snoke and all and and him training uh, and him training uh, Kylo, and that is kind of a mystery. And Luke is brought out of retirement and does and does starts mentoring Rey uh, in the ways of the Force on their journey to try to get to the bottom of why can't why can't I sense that there's this darkness in the Force. Um, we do see uh we do see the uh we do get a little bit of politics in there because the first order uh does go to the republic and demand an unconditional surrender after blowing up all blowing up all those planets and we do get a we you know we do hear from the people who want to surrender we do talk hear from the people who want an armistice we do also hear from the people who want an all out war uh and there's some debate about whether the galaxy can stand another conflict on that scale well at the climax of the movie uh, there is a showdown between Ray and Luke and Kylo, 
and we discover something about about Supreme Leader Snoke. Uh, and this is where we sort of double down on him being a giant hologram. Turns out there is no Supreme Leader Snoke. It is a straight-up Wizard of Oz. It's actually this tiny little alien mm-hmm. who's been using this, uh, this hologram to communicate with and intimidate people. And he, ha- he has no connection to the dark side of the Force. He's not a Sith. He's not a dark Jedi. He's just really, really smart and amassed all this lore. Uh, and that's what he's been using to train Kylo. And any time Kylo witnessed Snoke using the Force, it was either an illusion or him using, like, anti-gravity technology. So he's like Mysterio. So Kylo discovers... So, yeah, exactly, Mysterio. Mm-hmm. So Kylo ends up discovering that this whole time that he has been serving a lie and the big the big the big climax of the movie is not going to be him going good but him turning against the false snoke revealing the truth to the first order but then trying to position himself as the real leader of the first order because knowing that we're going to get a third movie we can't have we can't have him like turn good just yet wow would the um, you know tiny Snoke, the real Snoke, have a different voice than what he uses in the hologram? Oh, absolutely, and he would still be played by Andy Serkis, okay. uh, but but it would it would be it would be and it, it may not be an alien; it may just be a shrimpy guy. But it's going to be it's he's going to have physically nothing in common with the giant hologram of Snoke that we've been seeing. Got it. No, that that's all very interesting ideas. I mean, this movie, if nothing else, gives food for thought as we've been talking about it for 90 minutes, you know, quite some time. So uh, let's go on to the final segment, uh, which is what you're watching. DJ, what you're watching. It can be something on streaming. It can be something on uh, DVD, something in the theater. What's something you've seen recently that kind of stuck out to you? BJ, you're muted. Hello. Hi, I can hear oh, you. Oh, sorry. Apparently, uh, my mic muted somehow. Okay. Um, oh, weird. So, um, you know, I haven't really been watching a lot of like stuff steady. I uh, catch a little bit of the Expanse here and there, a little Downton Abbey, some stuff like that. Sure. Um, yeah, mostly watching. You know, I've, I've been watching my Critical Role. Uh, big fan of that D and D podcast. That's about it. Is Critical Role is that the one with Will Wheaton or? No, that's the one with um, voice actors like Laura Bailey, Matt Mercer, a few others. Um, oh, fun! And it's, it's a video it, show. I'm, I'm taking or it's, no? You, you can catch it on uh, you can catch it on YouTube or Twitch. Um, and it's them playing D and D. It's it's professional voice actors playing Dungeons hmm. and Dragons. I it's, imagine that uh, adds a lot to it then. Oh, it really does. It definitely it. does. Yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? What are you watching? Well, I, uh, most recently I uh, saw Jumanji, the next level, and mm. I'm kind of shocked it's not called Jumanji 2 or 2-manji. Um, if, if you liked the Jumanji remake slash sequel slash soft reboot from a few years ago, you'll probably like this. It has everything that worked in that movie. Um, that being said... I, I have a hunch things were getting sort of reworked on the day. It does. Uh, 
they they introduce a premise is introduced that the in this new these new movies the Jumanji is like a PlayStation Two era video game, uh, okay. and they introduce and they introduce the notion that the game console itself is busted, uh, and so like that introduces uh, that introduces the idea that as they're trapped in the game the game is glitching. Unfortunately, the glitching only affects a single thing, and it only really affects things once until until they immediately take advantage of it to resolve a problem that this movie didn't have. Um, the, I guess the other thing is that they have... Uh, Danny DeVito is, uh, is in it, and so is uh, Danny Glover. And they play, they play former business partners and best friends who had a falling out, and they also get trapped in the I game. I want to see that one. Uh, that it, sounds awesome. Well, the thing is, they have a great dynamic, and they do each get to do a lot of cool stuff in the game, like uh, like Dan- like like Danny Glover in the body of the game's like uh, zoologist. He's always like stopping to like give like exposition. That is the common ostrich. It can reach land speeds of this <laughs> and like, and, and that's the other fun thing is though is that it's is that it's uh it's Kevin Hart plays his avatar in the game so it's him doing an impression of Danny mm. Glover and like and Dwayne Johnson is the avatar of Danny DeVito throughout most <laughs> of the movie and so it's him doing Danny DeVito and like they're both so good I could totally buy that they recorded that dialogue with DeVito and Glover and then just had like the actors try to recreate those line readings um and that works really, really well. The problem is, so all the glitch does is sw- sw- let you switch avatars with somebody uh, that's used for one joke, and then they all use it to switch into the bodies they had from the first movie. Though, and th- which means they have to introduce a new character for uh, Danny DeVito to go into, played by Aquafina, which is actually still pretty fun. Um, but the the thing that infuriates me, and a lot of movies do this, uh, is that. Um, it, it's revealed pretty early on that Danny Glover's character has gotten a diagnosis and doesn't have much longer to live, and that's why he tries to reconnect with Danny DeVito. He doesn't want there to be bad blood between them when he passes away. So how does the movie end? Well, Donald Glover decides, I'll just stay in the game, because here, I can't die. Hmm. Well, one, yes, you can die. That's part of the game. It's just that you die three times. But two, in the game, he's a horse. Which, like, unless you've got a specific weird fetish thing for being a horse, I can't imagine anyone, even somebody who's got a terminal disease, would want to do. So, in the premise, when they're sucked into the game, there's not a version of them in the real world that's, like, comatose while the game is going on? No, they're, like, literally teleported into the game. Also, I... Oh, all right. And I also think, like, no time passes on the outside. Hmm. That's weird because they imply that in the originals that with Robin Williams that lots of time passes. I don't know. It's weird. Well, in in both in both of these games, like when they leave the game, like only like an hour or so has passed. Ah, okay. Uh, so uh, but yeah, it's 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 so yeah. If you like the first one, you'll probably like this. But like I I the ending does not ring true. Um, and and. The, I, they don't do enough with the glitching. It also does like raise the question: If this is a video game, what kind of video game is it? You know, I, I, you, you mentioned you know Danny DeVito and and Dwayne Johnson. I would love to see them remake Twins with with Danny DeVito and and Dwayne Johnson. 
It's funny you mentioned that, that they've been work. trying to do a sequel to Twins called Triplets. It would be Danny DeVito, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and the third, Eddie Murphy. Uh, really? Because a few years ago, the third was going to be Chris Rock. Um, they've been working on it for a while. We'll see if that if that happens. I think I wouldn't mind seeing Schwarzenegger in a comedy. I think Schwarzenegger is better with the comedy than say Stallone. But um, okay. Uh, I I've been watching. It was a, a documentary sequel of all things, which you don't often see. This just yeah, this really? just popped up on uh, Amazon Prime. This is Super Size Me Two. Does the experiment again? Uh, no. So the, the premise is somewhat convoluted. As uh, directed and uh, co-written by Morgan Spurlock. So the first Super Size Me, of course, the guy as an experiment eats, uh, you know, McDonald's for every meal for like a month and loses uh, sexual prowess, gains a lot of weight, feels like shit. And uh, all this stuff, and it's it a pretty good show, I thought. And they talk about you know the beef industry and pink slime and McDonald's burgers and all that stuff. Um, this one, it, it's focused on on chicken, and and the gimmick is he decides to to start a fast food restaurant with the gimmick that it'll be completely transparent. It'll be so, tra- and the idea is it'll be so transparent it'll make people disgusted at fast food, and will cause both huh. him and other fast food places to go out of business. So, with that in mind, he, he looks at what's selling, and it's uh, chicken sandwiches, uh, right? Fried chicken is, is a big thing. They call it crispy chicken uh, instead of fried. You don't say the F word, as they say in this movie. Uh, so, he, he works with uh, a, a poultry guy from Alabama who, you know, gets him a chicken farm, and they, they raise basically how they do chickens now. They, they can raise them from birth to ready to slaughter within... I think six weeks, which I found quite astonishing they could do it that quickly. Um, feeding them feed that includes pork and all this stuff. It talks about the meaninglessness of a lot of FDA labels, like cage-free means nothing. Uh, free-range doesn't really mean anything. It, with the FDA uh, definition of free-range, you don't have to have a specified amount of space outdoors, so they literally just have a tiny little opening in their place where the chickens are kept that the chickens can walk if they want outside, but a, a tiny little kind of like caged off opening. So and I found it illuminating. Uh, when I talked to my wife is vegan. She already knew a lot of this stuff. It wasn't a surprise to her, but I think it's well done. And um, he's trying to make it into a chain. Uh, so and the idea is his place, it, it has chickens that are, I guess as ethically raised as he can within the budget he has to do it. And the gimmick is they, they are the home of the crispy grilled chicken sandwich, meaning it's a deep-fried chicken breast with grill marks painted on it with charcoal, which in fact, oh, which in fact, Lord. grill marks are painted on a lot of grilled chicken products at hmm. restaurants. Hmm. So I found it. I found it quite interesting. I think it'd be great for for kids if you want. I mean, you do see like dead chickens and things. It, it gets. It doesn't shy away from that stuff, which I think it's important to know where your food is coming from. Uh, whether you eat meat or not, and I do, and this movie doesn't change my mind on that, but it's... I, I liked it. I think the tie-in to the first movie is quite slim, but, um, you know, it's cool that he did it, and uh, maybe we'll get a third one. Who the hell knows? I'm not sure how you would do that, but... Super Size 3. Su- Super Size 3 would be a good title, and uh, or maybe Super <laughs> Size Me, and the E and Me is a 3. I don't know. 
or Mac and Me, and it's specifically about McDonald's. Ooh, or maybe he tries. Yeah, maybe it's king like the... size me, and they do a Burger King expose this time. <laughs> you could do what if if you do a third How one focusing on. Oh, go on. How does it compare to Poultrygeist as far as um, as far I... as, as talking about ethics of, of of chicken? I have yet to see Poultrygeist. I need to. I, I it's a musical with by Lloyd Kaufman. Uh, you know, with, with characters oh, named yeah. Wendy's and Arby's and all that. Um, I. <laughs> I saw the making of Poultry Geist before watching the film, which was kind of dumb, but I love those super fat uh, trauma documentaries. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, but I, I think it is pretty honest about a lot of that stuff without going into details of, like, clipping the beaks. and it, it, It's somewhat muted, I'll give it that, but it's um, it, it's a good show. I, I would recommend Super Size Me too. Uh, unfortunately, originally, uh, Spurlock was supposed to release it on a major streaming service with a lot of advertising and at the same time on Twitter with um, with like the Me Too movement and everyone being transparent he just revealed like oh by the way when I was married to my wife and I had my first child I cheated on her a whole bunch I'm a sex addict uh, and oh, that dear. his honesty I think it was a good intention but a bad way to do it um, you know even if you do that stuff like why say it unless there's a reason that you have to it's like he gave an apology that wasn't prompted by anything. And uh, because of all this negative attention he got, the release of this film was delayed by a few years. It's weird because like, it's not right what he did, but it's also not criminal. It's not right what he did. It's not criminal. It's a noble... Uh, I mean, this this is frankly a, a tricky conversation. But yeah, I, I think he had a noble intent in just kind of laying it on the table. Hey, these are my indiscretions. But at the same... like. I don't know if you went on a talk show and, and talked about it or you need context. If you say, I mean, I don't know. Context is everything I think, but it's, it it's disappointing. It backfired in that way for him. And I think at, at the core of all this stuff, um, people can change. People can do better. They have to want to, that doesn't mean what they did was right. I think, you know, we have the system for a reason. Bill Cosby's in jail for a reason. And, that's that. I'm not going to open that can of worms, even though I sort of just did. Uh, Pete um, Thrasher, what you watching? Or did you... Well, I've I'm already talked about uh, the. the My mind blanked out after that rant on. You went to a I, different I place, did, and now we're back, and we're going to do our sequel scene. Do you see this in the the Skype chat, BJ? Sure thing. Great. So, what character do you want to be? This is a scene. I, I think it's with the pirates on the Millennium Falcon. Well, it's the pirates on whatever the hell ship that isn't the Millennium Falcon that Solo and Chewie right. are on. The, the uh, I, I like to be a Tessu Leech. Okay. Uh, Thrasher. Uh, I guess I'll do uh, okay, Solo. I'll be Balatik. So, and um, I guess I will read the stuff in parentheses as well. All right. Kenji Club wants their investment back too. I never made a deal with Kanji Club. Tell that to Kanji Club. Kanji Club's gain enters the other end of the corridor, led by Leech. Oh, Tasu Leech, good to see you. Translated from an alien dialect. Wrong again, Solo. It's over for you. Boys, you're you're both going to get what I promised. Have I ever not delivered for you before? Twice. Looks confused at Chewie, who nods. 
Well, what was the second time? The time on Dagobah when you stole it from me, gave it to my cousin, and I took it from him. Hey, Shecky's back. Hello. I got a quick phone call for you guys. Talking about... <laughs> real yeah, quick. Real yeah, real quick. We can go in late on this. Story Wars, The Voice of Wake Wings. Yeah, so, so, so when this movie came out, I decided to do uh, my version called Star Lard. The Lard Awakens. I had a why lard? What's the well, connection? I had a bucket of lard in the fridge. It's been moldy, and uh, it's uh, filmed in real time, ninety minutes. I slowly open it, and boy, does it make a stink! At the end, it awakens. It opens. The lard awakens. You see. Now I realize that was the first movie in your in your Star Lard trilogy, and a lot of people uh, really uh, criticized you for not having the whole trilogy planned out ahead of time. Uh, that's true. You know, I I, I shoot uh, shoot from the hip. Uh, I also shoot fast as it goes. And uh, with the lard, um, things can happen to lard that are kind of surprising. You can cook with it. You can eat it if you're hungry for for a snack. It really sticks to the ribs, you know. Uh, so. Um, People were kind of surprised at how lard was used. Think Marlon Brando and the butter in uh, Last Tango in Paris, and uh, you'll, you'll get an idea of where the trilogy might or might not go. In fact, I, I'm planning the reboots right now, so all that could change. You know, I heard some people wondering why you didn't do the obvious thing and slather your actors in it. Well, um, I'm the director and mostly the actor in all my films, as you all well know. If I slather myself in it, uh, my my hand will slip when I push the on button on the camera, and uh, I also might slip and and injure myself. And uh, poor old Shecky has got a bad hip, so I don't want to land. Uh, don't want to have a a slip and hit my hip. Just like in that single you released, a hip slip. That's right. I'll perform a brief bit, then I gotta go. I had a slip. It was on my hip. It was pretty hip. I had a slip that was on my hip, and I hit my nip. Okay. Yeah, I thought, weren't you going to do mean, a how duet you got with uh, Janet Jackson for that one? I was going to do a duet with Janet Jackson, and uh, she would say, uh, Ooh, my nip, not my hip, ooh, my nip. But, uh, you know, it never quite got past the uh, pre-production phase because I was uh, being sued by Justin Timberlake's attorney at the time. And speaking of the time, look at the time. I, I got to get going, but uh, I'm sure to be on later when we talk about um, Star Lard, uh, the rise of lards walking. <laughs> walk Lard. Uh, yeah, walk, walk Lard indeed. Okay, well, BJ, I want to thank you for your time to be on this extra-long, double-length episode of Sequel oh. Cast 2. Thank you for having me. There was a lot to digest. Anytime, yes. Uh, a lot to digest, just like Shecky's Lard. So... Uh, <laughs> or um, do you have a website you want to pimp or uh, something? Not really. Uh, I keep things uh, low profile online. You know, being a public employee, you know. You don't have lectures online or your classes that people can listen to. No, you don't want to listen to a high school class lecture. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess not. But what kind of history it's do you to teach? Be, Is it U.S. I, history or I teach world history? World history. I teach I world see. history. So uh, from the Renaissance to today. I'm sure you're much better than one of my middle school history teachers who taught us that she didn't want to talk about Nazis because they're bad. So, I think wow, I a long time talking about Nazis. As because you have to warn you if should. you don't learn, yes. you repeat the mistakes. Just right. like in Star Wars: uh, The Force Awakens, you know, apparently they nobody learned 
from the Empire. Or they learned the wrong things from the Empire. Yep. Or they nobody, the... nobody showed them the, the pictures of the Jedi bodies piled up dead there, or the or the the clones down on their luck after they're decommissioned, living on desert planets, hunting giant worms just to survive. Nobody, nobody showed, showed the part. sad origin story of the little worm that was sent to kill Padme in Attack of the Clones. Just an innocent worm. All right. Down on his luck. Down, down on his luck. Uh, t- tap dancing on on the sidewalk to raise shekels for his family, and he got this job of a lifetime that ended up in him being sliced in half. My, how's the worm has turned? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at sequelcast two. <laughs> Leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app, and um, buy my book, The Films of Uwe Boll, Volume One: The Video Game Movies, on Amazon.com. Available on Kindle, uh, physical copy, and uh, as an audio book, read by Jonas Gawe. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. For sequel guests too, this is Matt. And, and this is Thrasher. Saying I'm no Jedi, but I know the force. Chinga chinga wonga wonga. Why you stuck up scruffy looking nerf herders? 